One of, I'll say one of the exciting reasons I am so thankful to be with you here in Ohio is I will say my calling to step into this role happened in Ohio. And so I'm coming back to you and it's, it's, it's even stirring things in me. As we say, the school is stirring things in us. Like, whoo, we're remembering junior high all over again, you know? <laughs> Being with you in Ohio is stirring things inside of me because it was here that I really sensed a call to step onto the platform God has called me into this in this season. And as Bridget mentioned, I do work with Chi Alpha. Um, I'm the cross-cultural missions director. So I negotiate everything from our global missions to our international student ministry to our diversity initiative. I lead a team of leaders that um, specialize in those areas. But when I was at your network conference, some of you who were there may have recognized that I spoke at your missions event, your missions banquet. I don't know if anybody was there. And I, you know, I can spit out facts about Chi Alpha. I'm just, I'm one of those, you know, you get around Chi Alpha people. Michelle, isn't it true? We love Chi Alpha. We're overjoyed about what we do. And so I'm just spitting out Chi Alpha is the most strategic mission field in the world. And you reach the campus, you reach the world, and you know, I'm just spitting this out as fast as 90 miles an hour. Well, before I came, um, Brother Palmer had asked me to come to speak at this missions conference, which has been my heart. My call came 21 years ago. I was a very young woman. And you know that God can give young women audacious calls. And I was one of those young women that God gave a very audacious call. I was 22 years old, young married. Um, I was planning a short-term mission trip for my Chi Alpha group. We were at the University of Arizona. And as I walked into, we were, I was in a musty basement of an assembly of God church. You know, there's some of those, do you know, the fellowship halls that are below that kind of have this smell to them. That's where I was that musty fellowship hall underneath the sanctuary. And I'm a young woman. And, and the Lord spoke to me in that place. And the word that he gave me is I am calling you to lead this generation to the nations. Now I'm a white girl grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I'd been like to Mexico on a mission trip, but I am no expert in the nations. I don't have cross-cultural skills. And yet the Lord was calling this uh, this young woman with a very audacious call. He said he was going to use Chi Alpha to open a pipeline to the nations. And it wasn't about Chi Alpha. It was, it was about this group of college students showcasing um, what God wants to do to really transform the nations. So as Bridget mentioned, over the past 20 years, that is what I've been, my husband and I both have been just hitting that hard, calling this generation. We use statements like the Mormons are giving two years and we're giving excuses. We, we say things like, um, you know, oftentimes when we talk about missions, when we were in a local campus ministry, we'd say, you know, over spring break, we're going skiing. And all of our students would be like, yay, ski over spring break. They'd sign up on the sign-up sheet. Can't wait to go. The minute we would say we're going on a mission trip over spring break, do you know what they say? Let me pray about it. Okay, which is more dangerous? <laughs> which do you maybe need to pray about the most, skiing or going on a mission trip? And what does the Great Commission tell us? Why are we waiting for an angel to tell us to go to Africa when the, the Bible is replete with the Great Commission telling us all to be a part? So that is what that was the platform for my calling at the age of 22. And like many of you, I traversed as I worked alongside my husband. Uh, immediately he had a position and I didn't. 
and I, I had a call, but no position. <laughs> and I don't know about some of you women, but that was hard for me. Um, I think some people bear it more beautifully. I have this image. I'm um, a fifth generation ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. And so I've been in this for, I have a lot of history in this movement. And I have a very distinct image of being nine years old at our family camp. And my mother was a very non-credentialed preacher. Okay. My mom was the type, she got on stage and she's calling people out. You know, you have a, somebody has a headache and God's going to heal you. And I mean, so I had a model of a very engaged mother who was not credentialed. And I have an image of a grandmother, her, her picture of fulfilling the call was making sure my grandfather's shirts were ironed and making sure there was a jello salad and playing the piano most gorgeously. And so I, I see kind of the generations and how we've operated. And I remember as a young woman sitting at a family camp and the speaker who was so dynamic, you know, he was one of those family camp that talked about the end times that just scared the heck out of you when you're like 10. So it's like, oh, screaming up there. I'm like, oh God. Well, as he gets up to start, here's how he starts. He says, now, before I start tonight, I would like to introduce my wife. She is the wind beneath my wings. I could not be here if it wasn't for her. Beautiful wife, please stand up and let everyone clap for my wife. My nine-year-old self said, I will never be that woman. I don't know what hit me. There was something about being the wind to somebody's wings at nine years old didn't seem attractive to me, but I, that was me. And But I realized at nine, I made a vow. I will never be that person. When I was 22 years old and married to a missionary, I will never forget the first day, my husband. Oh, I'd love to introduce my wife. And my husband is, he lays it on thick. He calls me Mary, the mother of Jesus from the pulpit. It's embarrassing. I mean, he really does love me. <laughs> I feel very affirmed by my husband's, you know, minister spouse. It's like, oh, my wife. He didn't quite say wind beneath my wings, but he alluded to that. I could not be here if it wasn't for her. And I stood up and I was like, I'm that woman. And I, I, I'm, I'm that. And I stood up and I had a strong call. Like God's called me to lead the generation to the nations, but I'm young and I don't know how to make it work in the system I lived in. And so God has given me grace over the past 20 years to carve out, to work alongside, I believe, Chi Alpha has done a phenomenal job at helping both men and women step into their calling. And as I'm going to share today, I think one of the greatest foundations that we can have to step onto our platforms, women of ministry, is choice. And I'm going to talk about that because sometimes we moralize choices and calling and call one thing good and one thing bad. When we all are a part of the kingdom of God. And uh, my 20-year journey has helped me go from standing on that front row, oh God, I've got to break this vow because I'm actually okay being on the front row. I didn't know that I would as, when I was nine, but I was okay supporting my husband at that moment. And, and I had to break that vow and say it's good. And as I've walked with single women and watched their journey in ministry has been different and traversing with them um, has been a wonderful growth experience. And I go back to say why I love being in Ohio. I was speaking at that banquet, spitting out facts about Chi Alpha, how much I loved it. Pastor Wooten had asked me to do a workshop. What would you like to do a workshop on? I just thought, I said, I'd like to do a workshop on women in ministry. 
I had developed it for my Chi Alpha community. And it was while I was doing that workshop that the Lord really called me. And he said, Crystal, I had prepared you since you were a little girl. This is He spoke this to me at your network conference. I prepared you from a little girl to love the generation of women ministers because I love my grandmother. She did a great job ironing my grandfather's church and led next to him with such beauty that I delight in. My mom is such a powerful woman of God. She was never credentialed, but she works so closely with my dad. It was so beautiful. And, and I've had the opportunity to work alongside my husband, but to also step out on different platforms and differentiate from what he does. And I'm thankful for that opportunity. And so in that, I believe that God has prepared me to step into this and champion what God is calling all of us to do and be as ministers of the gospel from women's ministries in our church. And can I tell you, as Pastor Wooten spoke this morning, that we don't follow culture, we lead in in our messaging. But what's happening today on the front of women in the world is pretty pervasive everywhere. When the Me Too movement came out, I saw so many of my Chi Alpha young women hashtagging Me Too all over their all over their Facebook pages. And you engage with stories at a new level of what we happen to walk through just because we were born women. We're blessed living in the Western world. And as I sit with women, whether women's ministers, women, um, credentialed women, whatever sets of women, it doesn't matter. We start talking about the Me Too movement and what that means for us. We start talking, and what I recognize, and I covet your prayers, because when you step onto a new platform, I recognize that when I stepped into the platform of women ministers, that when we talk about women's issues, we cannot separate them from human trafficking and from Me Too movement and sexual harassment and things that are going on in the world that impact us and the voices of the people around us that tie us together as women and that we care about these things so gracefully. And we do not have to follow culture because the gospel speaks to this more than any other any other document you can find. I was with a young woman recently who was a Christian, raised in a Christian home, but she had gone to college and um, got a religious studies degree, which means you study all world religions in a religious study on a secular campus. She was a believer, and she said, Crystal, at the end of the day, after I studied Islam and Hinduism, she said, the thing that stuck out to me is how Jesus was so radically different in his treatment to women. From all other religions, you look at whether it's Mohammed or, or, or these different figures that represented these religions. Um, it was a very top down in the way Jesus touched women, the way he took time out of his busy schedule to capture somebody that was pulling on his garment. Um, he showcased a love for women that we have never seen truly in a society. So the gospel has answers for all the questions that are going on in the world. Can I tell you as an assembly of God, woman, minister, or person in Assembly of God Church, we also have the ability to lead as some of our other brothers and sisters in Christendom have different views of women in leadership. We have an opportunity to step onto new and unique platforms that I believe will 
speak to our culture like no other church is poised for. So this is powerful times for us, friends, as women, for women in ministry, for those leading women, that we come together and we really champion the cause of women in our churches, in our communities, and that as we lead together. As the director for the Network of Women Ministers, my PowerPoint isn't working, but I'll just share with you so that you kind of get, sometimes it's good to have clarity. Who are we as credentialed women and what does that represent in our movement? And I basically say this, our, our, our kind of arm that represents vocational and credentialed women. What are we here for? We're here to equip and commission women ministers to fulfill their call. That's it. Equip ministers to fulfill their call. That's what we do. Isn't that what you do, Bridget? What's your call? We're here to fulfill it. Here's my belief statement. I think this is pretty incredible as we think about leading alongside our brothers in the church world. I say the church is at its best and God is reflected most holy when both men and women are empowered to fulfill their calling at every level of ministerial leadership. There's so much research in the marketplace that when men and women work side by side and you have a diverse workplace, it's a better workplace. And there's so much attention right now in the workplace on how do we diversify because what we see often in the church as far as leadership, mostly men at the top levels, it's it's in the marketplace also. <laughs> it's nothing new. Um, it's where we are in culture. But there is so much research out there that says when we work together as brothers and sisters, as men and women, here's what it increases. It increases creativity. It increases flexibility. It increases innovation. And at the end, it increases the bottom line. In the marketplace, the bottom line is money. What's our bottom line? Great commission, salvation. So we have to say that we are the churches at its best when men and women are working together to facilitate the great commission. Our churches are over 50% women, my friends. <laughs> so women are not a minority in the church world, and neither should we be a minority at every level of church leadership. The Lord is unleashing something in our day because not because we want to fight for women's rights. I have no desire to do that, friends. I'm not taking up any flag or marching in any rally. I am saying we're doing it because the church will be at its best and the harvest will be more complete. That's why it's important, friends. It's not important because we need a, we just need to say something, but our voice and contribution is important. It started when I, when I think about where really the new trajectory for women was really started or reframed after the garden. We see that we are made in the image of God, both male and female. And it is that image, that image bearing. And it's the image bearing is greater than, um, just what we say as men and women, you know, this is what a woman is and this is what a man is. It's, it's how we bear the image of God. It's different than the culture can talk about. It's something different than we can just say, oh, women are nurturers and men are fighters or women are this and men are this. It's no, we bear the image of God and that holistic image is necessary in all places of ministry and it's important. And so we need to look at that and, and really think through that. At the time of Pentecost, and it was spoken of today, you will receive power and the Holy Ghost came. And we know all that there were both men and women in that room, don't we? And then Peter gives up and shares the first Holy Ghost-inspired sermon right there. He was a Pentecostal preacher right 
after Pentecost, he comes out and he, he quotes this, um, this statement from Joel in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And right then he leveled the playing field of the hierarchy of the Roman government, the hierarchy of the Pharisees that they had put in the church. If you look a little past this, so you have men and women, young and old, you know, we have age discrimination in our country. We, um, we love youth. Other cultures love old people. He's saying young, old, men, women. Then he even goes and says, you're male and female servants. He's pouring his spirit out and giving them voice. How powerful is that to our context? And it was set free. There was something that was set free at Pentecost because before that, the prophetic word were owned by the prophets, right? Which there were women prophets. We know that we're standing on a foundation of both men and women prophets um, from the beginning. But he, he set people free, and he set them free in fallen systems. Does that make sense? There were still fallen systems, but he set their voice free that we are going to, in the church, we are going to prophesy. We're going to speak. We're going to work together. He's going to give things to the young and the old and the servants and the women. And here we're going to see the Great Commission come from that kind of a spirit. And so what a powerful place that we all stand on. The foundation that we step on is so powerful and so important. And we are in a very timely moment. So all that excitement, God... Yay, women, church is best. What does that mean and what does that look like for all of us who have probably thought through, God, what is my place in this? Maybe for years like I did since I was nine years old, maybe sooner than that. God, what in this great commission, in this church culture, where do I stand? And as women, we we are in systems, and I will say this, um, there is at times, and I don't want to deny it, macro discrimination. There's macro discrimination, which is what we see in a lot of the world, and there's micro discrimination, which are sometimes systems that favor men. And they exist in our world. We don't need to deny them. They sometimes exist. <laughs> and it's okay that they're out there at times. Um, we can live beyond that. But there are, whether it's the culture, the marketplace, wherever it is, there's these systems. And we as called women of God who have an appointment and a destiny with Christ and a, and a voice and a prophetic word in our belly, we're playing out, okay, where is our platform? Where do you want me to stand on? I was in a conference about two years ago, and a, a woman was doing a breakout just like this. And her breakout, she is a PhD from Villanova, and she did her research on motherhood and mission. Motherhood and mission, and then also on the role of ministry wives. And one of the things that she found, as I'm sure Bridget, you guys know, that ministry wives have a higher level of depression and anxiety and illness than like the national average. And so there's a lot, if you start just studying ministry wives, it's actually a people group that are like feel these issues really strong. And so she actually did a study on what makes women happy in ministry, both as ministry wives and in ministry. What, what's like a happiness meter and what could be a common denominator of happiness in the ministry? And what they found out through research was what made women the happiest as ministry wives and as ministers is the ability to choose. 
when it's expectations, when it is a structure that chooses for you, women felt unhappy. And whether it be the way the last pastor's wife was that now you step in and it's like, well, you know, our last pastor's wife um, homeschooled and cared for our nursery and you want to preach. That doesn't make sense to us. Or, you know, um, these expectations that are put on folks or uh, and what starts happening is we moralize choices very quickly. And if you're in a community, oftentimes where all the ministers homeschool and stay at home, then you start saying that's the right choice instead of that's their choice. And, and what she started talking about, and I, it started setting me free, even as she was talking, because I raised kids as a working mom. And I, I remember I started judging the moms that were always at the, the ball games and say, oh, they don't have a life. These moms, they're just they're just going to be there all the time. Instead of, oh my goodness, there are women that are making that choice because they love their kids and they have a Gatorade bottle for my son every time he's there. But see, what we often do is in order to vindicate our decisions, we put other people's down. And what she said is, as women, if we could allow people in the privacy of their own home to make these decisions as we do the other things in their life, nobody tells you you have to be a teacher. So why should we tell people they have to homeschool and, um, you know, do that? Or why should we tell people they have to preach? No. As women, with our families and with our spouses, if we have one, or as a single woman, God, what are you calling me to? And so as we go as women ministers, I think, and as women in ministry, the first thing I'd like us to practice is clarity. At times, you need to recalibrate your call, and you need to think about, Lord, what platform are you wanting me to step into? Not based on what other people are doing or saying, but what you are saying to me. Talk to people close to you. And one practice that I've had women around me do, because so often in ministry, especially as ministry wives, we do not know how to differentiate our call from our spouses. And even if we are called together, I really feel like in a lot of contexts, my husband and I work as a Priscilla and Aquila team, but other contexts I've had to learn to differentiate where is my voice. And as women, and this is in the marketplace too, we have much harder time actually articulating what our call is because we think it's prideful. And so we'll often say, oh, we're a mom of two, and I help my husband. And, you know, instead of saying, here's what God's called me to do. I teach Sunday school. I do this. It's, it's a differentiating of learning how to speak the platform that God's called us to. And I actually really started honing my voice to say what I do outside of my husband because I'm not going to be with him on the judgment day. That was hard as a ministry wife. I had to grow in that. It took me actually a decade, to be honest, to, to start differentiating. So I start telling women, let's get your three-minute elevator speech outside of your husband and outside of your kids, who you are and who God's called you to do, what God's called you to do and be, and then step onto that platform. And so we're going to start with how Bridget asked me to talk about specifically how do we work together. The first way we work together is clarity of call. As long as we are secure, the reason I wasn't secure in being a working mom is because I felt guilty. As soon as I set myself free to say, God, this is what you called me to. I, 
my kids are thriving in this environment that you've called me to. I stepped into it, and then I could celebrate those moms that were bringing my son Gatorade and that were sitting on those stands with beauty and celebrating not only their own children but mine. And it was when I could step out in clarity on who I was called to be and what God was asking of me, then I could start celebrating those around me. So your first step is clarity. Step into your call. Train your voice. Give yourself work on. I'm telling you, I'm giving you homework because we're in a school, so I can. (laughs) But I can't test you. Bridget, you test them. Um, Have, um, can I have somebody with a clock? What time is it? I want to stay on track. 12.03. Okay. Um, Hone clarity, okay? Work on your elevator speech. Outside of your spouse and your kids, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what God's called me to do. Oh, yes, and by the way, my husband's a pastor. (laughs) Oh, yes, by the way. Um, And so that's all a part of it. But hone our voice. Step out in clarity and don't judge yourself against others. Got it? So once we do that, we step out on the platform God's called us to do. And women, one thing, especially in the ministry circles, oftentimes we don't have titles. Our men do not call themselves credentialed leaders because they have jobs. And so they don't have to, you never hear men in their context having a a luncheon for credentialed ministers because honestly, men are stepping into positions and then they say, oh, by the way, you don't have credentials, we'll help you get them. And they really, ministry positions, if you look in our Assemblies of God world, they don't care that much if we're credentialed or not, (laughs) especially in entry-level positions in churches. If you want to be a youth pastor and you feel called and you're anointed, all right, come on in and we'll help you credential. And so this concept of credentialing being the baseline platform for ministry, the men's circles don't even have that. And so we oftentimes work without titles. And that's harder for some of us than others. It was a struggle for me at first. God's helped me walk through it, hopefully with grace, sitting on that front row. Thank you. I'm glad I'm the wind beneath your wings. (laughs) Oh, God bless. (laughs) I will walk with beauty. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that was a harder, a little harder bridge for me. It's not for everyone um, because it is a beautiful place to be in. And I do not want to diminish that. Um, I do not want to diminish the beauty of walking alongside our spouses in ministry. I feel so honored to be a partner in ministry with my spouse and those that are single women, you come up a different direction. So you have, you're finding your platform in a new and unique way than my, than my journey is. So we've built our platform. We've stepped on it. We may have a title or not, but my friends, the harvest is plenteous and the labors are few and women, we will drive our tractor into the harvest fields of this world and build a platform. If there's not one there for us, just get your wood and your nails and say, all right, God's called me. I'm going to step. And ministry wives, you do this all the time in your church. All right. I'm driving my tractor out in the harvest fields and nobody's taking care of these fifth graders. So God bless. I'm the fifth grade leader now. Um, Or whatever. You do that. You drive your tractors out. There's a need. You build a platform. You don't need a title. You just step on and you minister. Once you get there, you're confident. You know what God has called you to do. Here's the next thing we're going to do. How do we behave? How do we act on this platform? How do we work together? Because we all have different platforms. Some of us are, you know, I'm so thankful to work alongside my spouse and I get to do fifth grade ministry and it's awesome. Other of us, I'm a nurse. My husband is a minister and I'm, I'm my, my ministry is in the marketplace and I get to serve at my church. 
how awesome is that? So we're all standing on our platforms. We're driving out in the harvest field. We have clarity of call. We may not have a title, but God help the men up there. Give them to us. (laughs) We don't have title all the time. We step onto our platforms. And then how do we work together? The clarity is the first step, but the second step, and I'm going to talk about four core values that I honestly believe Jesus has given me. You know, sometimes you can pull the God card. I'm going to pull the God card right now. I believe Jesus has given me these four core values, which will help define our behavior as women ministers and women leaders. Okay. The first one is honor. And honor is a really big thing. I take this out of Romans 12. If you look at it in the American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, sorry, ESV, there's a little, it's a very known passage, okay, Romans 12, we know it's something people quote all the time, we know it really well. There's things that come out of this, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. These are ways to honor, okay, and and I think as women, we are individualistic, so I might think, I'm not going to think of myself more highly than Bridget, We do not think that way. But we can also use this as a people group. Women, we're not going to think of women more highly than men. We're not going to think of our people more highly than your people. And that is a checklist for honor. Okay, we're going to go through a checklist for honor. Think with sober judgment about yourself. We got to think, we got to, sometimes we, in our attempt to, um, See, what I was doing when I was judging my Gatorade moms, (laughs) I had actually started thinking of myself higher. Like, I'm a working mom that has a life and you don't. What is that? That is wrong. And I need to repent of that kind of thinking. I need to get off my platform and get on my knees. That's wrong thinking. I needed to get sober judgment of how I was thinking about myself. Do you guys get that analogy, greater aid mom? Those of us who have some point in your life is set on baseball stands. Um, think of yourself with sober judgment. Then love one another with brotherly affection. As we're loving each other, whatever platforms, there's going to be such affection. Once I got off my platform, got on my knees, and repented of judging the Gatorade moms in my world, I stepped back on, and the affection for them grew so so strongly that, man, we're working together in this, and I'm thankful for those who are called to different places than me. Thank goodness for that. And then there's this little scripture right hooked in, and it says, outdo each other with honor. Outdo. As we are working with the men in our lives, friends, we cannot get a, no men bashing. These are our brothers in Christ, and we need to meet them where they are. When I hear people call men misogynists, especially in our culture, it kind of turns my stomach, because here's where I see some of our men, and it's, it's a thing of honor, and, and, and I'll talk about this a little bit later if I get to, but I'm going to say it now in case I don't. We are, the men I work with in the Assemblies of God, and one of the reasons I am here in Ohio is I have seen men champion women, I believe, more prolifically than anywhere I've been in our movement. I am blown away of the advocacy of men toward women in your network. I feel like they're just streaming blessing over you to choose what you want and step into it. But there are some men, and I pray that Ohio will lead the way. That is my prayer, is that God will use your leadership to speak. 
Can I get online? And it talks about women in ministry. Do you know who pops up? John Piper. And he has a very different image of women in ministry. If you didn't know that, look up John Piper. It's that He's the one talking. I'm like, why aren't our men talking about what the value of women are in their workplace? So what I see with the men we work with, I believe Ohio's leading the way. But at the same point, I find a lot of men in our movement who I call them Boaz, okay? If you think of the story of Ruth, in the beginning of the story, Ruth is out gleaning, you know, Naomi has, well, it's not the beginning, the middle of the story, she's out there gleaning the fields and benevolent Boaz comes out. Oh, glean in my fields. You'll never go hungry again. I'm going to take care of you. Noble, right? He's a good man. Great. But he still left Ruth on the outside. She would never have a name. She would never have a posterity. She would never have a title, but she would be fed. And there are men in our movement that are good men, and they just need to have their hearts turned, as Boaz did, to take women from the outside to the end. And that's going to take us loving our men and honoring them, outdoing men with honor in every context of our church world. Um, Last analogy of honor, I was watching a commercial recently. You may have seen this, but there is, it's, it's a commercial for cutie oranges. And it was so funny to me because it was like the wicked witch who had an apple and she's giving it to real pretty Snow White who's sitting there. It's all like dark and gloomy. And Snow White's like, take the apple. And she's like, oh no, it's poisonous. And then it goes to this beautiful spring scene and here she's eating a cutie. And so there, it's a, it's a commercial for cutie apples. Don't take the poisonous apple, eat the cutie. Sometimes in ministry circles, we do that without thinking about it. We actually pit apples and oranges against each other when they're both healthy. It's a marketing technique in our world, but it does not need to be in the church. And we do not need to tear anybody else's platform down to build our own. Do not tear another person's platform down to build your own. Don't start trash-talking apples in order to build cuties, because that literally doesn't make sense. It makes sense from a marketing standpoint, but not a church standpoint. Let's be women who outdo each other with honor. The second is authenticity. Can I say this? Honor and silence are not synonyms. And it is okay If you have a story as a ministry wife, as a pastor, as a woman in a church that in which you have been overlooked, unseen, unheard, it's okay to talk about it in safe spaces. Don't get in a microphone, please. (laughs) And, you know, and like spew out all your hatred. But I will say this generation Ashley looks young over here, <laughs> demands authenticity. And if we start faking it and start saying, oh, no, women, we have it so wonderful. It's God, just our, our, our road is just paved before us at every moment. God's so good. Oh, and, and we don't dig a little deeper to say, no, I've been overlooked. I've been misunderstood in context working with men. It's okay to be authentic, and I'll tell you two reasons. One reason is We do never want to be a people group that overlooks abuse or harassment. And sometimes it's gone that far, women, in our church context. Can I just tell you, my little grandmother lives in Maranatha, and there was a really bad scene that happened with a 
a minister there in Maranatha and, and speaking out was the, the woman couldn't do it. She she felt silence. And so some of these me too things, we have to be authentic friends because we don't want, we don't want silence to ever house harassment or inappropriate activity. It needs to be authentic because we need to pay attention to that. But if your situation is a woman in ministry, and I know I'm speaking a little bit more to women ministers, but women ministry folks in the church, um, I will say this, if there's been a time on a team you feel overlooked or it, it just as a woman, maybe not finding your place, whether it be in church or the marketplace, I say that what it is in, in the Western world, it's usually not overt sexism. It's, it's almost like little snowflakes that cause hurt, but these little snowflakes sometimes turn into a snowball. And that's when it gets kind of vicious and we get kind of mad and mean. And can I tell you that I have had to significantly guard myself against this, even in this new role, because I started seeing it more. Sometimes when you start paying attention, you're like, oh, there's a lot of little snowflakes on my face. And it's okay to talk about that, okay, women? I'm just saying it's okay to be authentic. Let's, Let's be real with each other and love each other and honor each other at the same point. The third place is women in ministry. We're authentic. We forgive. And the reason the Me Too movement doesn't have a lot of power is really our power lies in forgiveness. That is when human justice can end and God's justice can begin. And whenever we find ourselves in a powerless situation, our power does lie in forgiveness. Now, I am not saying that we don't need human justice because we do, and we will fight for it. Um, if that's too strong of a word, we will work for it, okay? <laughs> I don't want to use too strong language. We're going to work for human justice. At the same time, as we forgive, whether it's a snowflake, a snowball, whether it's harassment and, and like some of these big issues that women are dealing with, or whether it's I'm overlooked, I'm overseen, I don't fit in this system, whichever it is, we have to release it. And when we do, because if we don't, we'll get stuck in authenticity our entire life. And we will create a monument to our woundedness. And we will take flowers back to it. And we will take all of our friends back to it. And in like we have Memorial Day like every day. And we're like getting our flower arrangements. And we're all weeping at our monument to our hurt. And we have to be released from there. Um, Let's not have Memorial Day. Or if we do, let's remember like we do in a Christian Memorial Day the hope that we have. All right? So let's be people of forgiveness. And let's fight for it. The last one is hope. All other movements we see out there, whether it be Black Lives Matter, Me Too, when you start digging into people that feel oppressed in any sense or way, you dig into them and there is no hope. It's like this is the worst thing and we are stuck here forever. But friends, we are people of hope. Can I tell you, when I look at the little girls that are sitting in our pews, I look at them and see a married generation generation that's going to lead us into something new and different people that have a call maybe different than even their elders have the best day for women and for women in ministry is ahead the best day for women influencing our families and our churches and our communities our marketplace and our world is ahead not behind we are people full of hope because i honestly believe this is when jesus came think about this he came to women who had been painted into a box of what they could do or be. 
They had no voice. They had no name. Their only hope was really in childbirth. He shook things up for those women. He looked at them. He taught them. He touched them. And he took that box that women had been painted in, and he significantly shook it. I honestly believe, friends, we're in that day again. As we are approaching prayerfully the end of this age, he has shaken up that image of women. Can I tell you, a lot of the image of women didn't come from the Bible, even our church world. It's rooted in Puritanism. It's rooted in Calvinism. It's even rooted, I love James Dobson. He's amazing. But he has kind of one view of woman that sometimes paints women in a box. His view is a good view, but it might not be the only view. And sometimes we have painted women into a box. Jesus is shaking it up, friends. And we need to celebrate how he's shaking in this generation. So we are people of great hope. Quick story that I pray illustrates these four core values. I have a very good friend of mine. She is on part-time staff at a pretty large, large church in Indiana. She's a pastor. They all call her Pastor Vicky. The whole church, Pastor Vicky. Her role is young adults, but she also gets to do Chi Alpha. So she's on the university. She works with young adults in the church, and she works with Chi Alpha. So she goes around church on Sunday morning. And everybody calls her Pastor Vicky. She's part time, and she works alongside. There's also another woman that's a part time pastor. Everyone else on the staff of the church are men, and they're full time. So she said it comes time for pastor's appreciation every year, and they take a big offering to celebrate their pastors. And so she said it's a pretty hefty offering. I mean, it's a larger church. And so they get this big offering, and then they bring all the pastors up to the front, and they give them an envelope. So my friend Vicki, she said she, the first time they started this, she was new, new in this position, they brought all of them up, including the two part-time women, and all the men and their wives were with them, got an envelope, an envelope, an envelope. When they got to her and the other woman, they got a candy basket. And she said, she said it just kind of took her breath. You know, the first year, like, okay, well, I am part-time, so, you know, there is a differentiation right here. But she went back, and she said she just started crying. And see, there's authentic. It's okay that that hurts, because there are sometimes systems that hurt, okay? So she's kind of a little bit of a justice woman, so she actually went to her pastor after this, and which is great. She did it in a loving way. She respects her pastor, and, and she said she's celebrated by her church. She feels very celebrated. So she went to her pastor, and she's like, you know, don't you think when you take the offering that the people are thinking me? They call me Pastor Vicky, <laughs> you know? Don't you think that? And he, she said he was very cordial and loving toward her and said, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. The next year rolls around, and here she gets up, and here's her little candy basket. Now, I say this in another thing that had happened to her because I want to showcase this piece of authenticity. She honors. She honors all of her church leaders. She doesn't speak negative about any of them. And what she told to me, she told in confidence. She doesn't spread this around her church about what a bad team they are for giving her a candy basket. Okay? She told it to me in confidence in a place where authenticity makes sense. So at, she said right before this happened, this pastor's appreciation happened, her son at 44 years old passed away in her home through hospice. He had a brain um, tumor, cancerous brain tumor, and he and his family, his young kids, moved back into her home, and he 
went through hospice and had passed away about a month before pastor's appreciation. So I want to put this in context so you can, I, I want to give a little place for the pain that sometimes happens in these situations that are snowflakes, okay? So she had gone through this very painful thing, and then it's a month later, and there she's on stage with her basket of candy. After this, she goes back to her little office in the back of the church, and she starts weeping. Now, she had wept a lot over her son that passed away, but in that moment, even though she was dealing with that kind of pain, that pain of being overlooked, unseen, a system that didn't seem to favor her, hurt. And she sat there, and she started weeping in her office, and she said, Jesus, I have to forgive. I have to release. And I, I want to take you to that place because we've all been there. Whether it's a, a harassment, whether it's whatever has happened in our life, I think most women have been to that place at some point where we have to say, God, I have to forgive. I've done all I can in my power. I must release this to you. And and my friend Vicki, she said she's sitting there and she's weeping. And she said, okay, God, I'm releasing this to you. And Jesus kept speaking to her mind, I see you, I see you, I see you, right at that moment. A knock came at her door. And she said she kind of fixed herself and, okay, come on in. And a young man walked in, and he said, Pastor Vicki, he said, I, at my work this last month, I got an unexpected bonus. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and asked me to give it to you. He said, I want you to know how valuable you are to our church. And I, I wanted to give you my church bonus. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to her and he said, you see, I see you. And as women, we have to come to the place where that's good enough. Because in the word of justice, in the world of human justice, I want everyone to see you. I want them to see and celebrate what God is doing on your platform, but they may never. They may never know the pain and the hurt that you've gone through, but Jesus does, and he sees you. And in the end, what does he say about doing things in secret? He rewards openly. And and as and, and she said after that moment, she had complete breakthrough. She said she's worked with her male staff very beautifully after that and with an honoring spirit and a hope-filled future. But I think sometimes we don't, we, we make that, we don't allow for that process of allowing people to step into and ask for the supernatural place of forgiveness because it's not something we can always conjure up. It's something that we have to step into and there is power to forgive. There is power in that unleashing of your own justice of being seen and heard and understand and gotten and unleashed it to our heavenly father and saying, okay, I forgive you see me and that is enough. And, um, that was such a beautiful example of, um, of walking in these truths. Once we stand on our platform of clarity, women, this is who I am. This is who God's called me to be. This is how he's called me. This is where he wants me. Stand with confidence. Step into it. Friends, if that means I just um, sat with a woman who's a ministry wife. She's been for 30 years. She's in her 50s. She said to me, I'm feeling a call to credential crystal that I've never felt before, but I'm, I'm worried that my pastor's wives are going to feel like I, I'm stepping out of their realm. And I said, no. I said, we choose. If you feel called to that in this season, then you step onto it. And if, and if you don't, then don't. 
celebrate, step into what God has called us. So even with the credentialing process, it's a process of servant leadership saying, I'm open, God, <laughs> to it's not a place to have a a um, platform of superiority in any way. So if God calls you to step into credentialing at any season of your life, those that are women ministries are ministry wives in your churches. And God is saying, hey, um, I want to use you more significantly to um, equip the church then step into it, my friends, and own it. Got it? If he hasn't, step into the platform that he's called you to and own it and stand in it with all confidence that God has called you to be there. And then walk with honor, authenticity, forgiveness, and hope. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for these moments. Um, Is it time? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs)